This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our topic is homelessness in Phoenix. Our guest is Stacy Champion. Stacy is a purveyor, I believe, of what John Lewis called good trouble. She's, <laughs> she's fighting the good fight, uh, best known, I think, in this community for her sometimes successful fights with APS. She's <laughs> been a dragon slayer. Uh, and in terms of rate hikes and uh, shutoffs of service in the hot summer months. And uh, I invited you here because I saw some of your posts, which I've been following on social media, about your treks down into the land of the homeless. And it occurred to me that you would have, uh, especially from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have an institutional responsibility, you don't report to somebody in the city or the county, you're down there and you see some things. I know you're ticked off about some of the things that you see. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, and and so you're an independent uh, uh, viewer of what's happening. First of all, let me welcome you back to the show. We In, in the past, we've talked about APS and related issues, different topics. Topic, same person. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as I said, I I was provoked by reading some of your Twitter posts uh, down there. I I sense, among other things, uh, you've got some anger at what some of the public officials who are charged with dealing with this issue have been doing or not doing. I wonder if you let's start with that and tell me what. What you know? I, there's a there's been an edginess to some of your posts, and I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit. I I am angry, and I think, you know, I think a lot of people should be angry. Uh, at the end of the day, these are these are human beings, right? These are people who are experiencing homelessness for a variety of reasons. It's not as cut and dried as many people think. Um, yes, there are addiction issues. Yes, there are mental health issues. But there are also a large number of folks, uh, especially now, uh, who are first-time homeless, uh, whether it's because the eviction moratorium has ended or they you know, lost their job and had everything come crashing down around them. I meet a lot of uh, older folks, especially seniors, who have just simply been priced out of their housing, uh, health events, uh, all kinds of just, you know, catastrophic kind of situations or trauma, um, pride oftentimes. I think a lot of people just are uncomfortable asking for help. I, I, I've sensed that in a lot. You, you, talk, you, you talk to somebody and they're, you know, they're, they're down, they got nowhere to, but... But they're unwilling to call their brother. Yeah, yeah. Their parents or somebody. Yeah, and you'll see that especially with uh, a lot of the older folks who I've met. Who uh, some of them lie to their children uh, because mm-hmm. they don't want to be a burden because mm-hmm. their own kids are struggling, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, these are people, and you know, I have been doing street outreach. Oh, my gosh, for probably at, at least 13 years, if not a little bit, a little bit longer uh, in in Phoenix in downtown and and all around, you know, even in, in my own neighborhood or just, you know, throughout my day, my travels throughout the day. Um, and and I am I'm angry. 
Uh, I've been angry because, you know, the city of Phoenix, you know, the county, the state, a lot of people have used COVID as an excuse for many things. Um, and, you know, if there's one thing that we can predict in this city, it's that it's going to be hot. <laughs> and so I don't think that there was really great planning for that with a lot of the public buildings being closed. You know, uh, we've seen a disproportionate number of unsheltered folks dying from heat, uh, but other things as well. Um, last year, just in Maricopa County, there were... I think over 500 unsheltered or, you know, unsheltered people experiencing homeless who died. Uh, we're over 400. I think uh, the last I checked, um, there's a I, I have an ongoing records request from the Maricopa County, um, the medical examiner's office, and they have a list called the transient death list. And I believe as of November 1st, we were at about 466 folks just in Maricopa County unsheltered uh, who have died for you know a number a number of reasons a heat included and you know the city of Phoenix spent over three hundred thousand dollars of cares Act funding to put up chains and poles in kind of that public easement space that exists between the sidewalk and the curb due to several businesses in that area that many of us refer to as the zone. Um, so and where where is that? Robert? So I was just going to yeah. say, so it's, um, you know, roughly uh, Jefferson to Jackson between 9th Avenue and 13th Avenue. So that kind of little quadrant mm -hmm. where you have a lot of the the resources, the human services campus, which is kind of the umbrella over the the main shelter. Um, you have Andre House down there. Um, you have other, you know, organizations and social services. And that was by design, right? That they that there was a design to concentrate social services, both public and private, in a uh, confined area. So that it would be make it make it easier for people to get services. That's right. Yeah. So you have you know day resource centers down there. You have uh, Circle the City who is providing you know medical care to these folks. Um, so which makes sense in, in if if there were enough shelter beds and resources, which there are not. So. You have the city of Phoenix who spent over $300,000 in CARES Act funding to put up these chains and poles. The ir irritation is, if I understand it correctly, CARES Act, this was part of the Recovery Act, and this was supposed to be earmarked for people in need. Correct. And, to help people. And it's used to confine. Correct. Right. And so, you know, there is a I don't remember if it off the top of my head, but there's, you know, a Supreme Court ruling saying that if you don't provide enough shelter beds, you can't prohibit people from sleeping basically in public space, which this would be public space that, you know, easement between the sidewalk and the and the street um, but that is indeed what they have done. And so you have now this situation where we still are, you know, within this pandemic, this COVID pandemic, and people are 
smash together like sardines um, where there aren't these chains and poles, which I believe is county property because that neighborhood's a little wonky. And so there's, you know, some city owned stuff and then county owned stuff. But it's it's and, it's and a little wonky. Maybe not right within it, but certainly adjacent to it, there are businesses that are down there, which their lobbying probably accounted for the fences and poles. As far as I know, they didn't even know that those chains and poles were going up mm-hmm. based on the media that I saw from it. Um, but I'm sure, yeah, that's what led it to occur. But, you know, how many people could you have helped or housed, for that matter, with over $300,000? And, you know, there's also, um, there are sweeps, police sweeps, cleaning sweeps that happen three days a week, every week. And that's announced in advance, right? Certain days they're going to go in and clean out anything that's not nailed down. It's basically every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it starts ungodly early in the morning. And the the premise is that it's for, you know, sanitation. Um, but in reality, it's my opinion, having watched, you know, watched mm-hmm. it numerous times, it's really about disruption mm-hmm. and, display, and displacing people and trying to make people uncomfortable. What are they taking? Well, so what they do is they make everyone... So three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they have to move all of their stuff mm-hmm. while they clean. And so they kind of do it block by block. But everybody has to move move their tent, move all their belongings, like move all their stuff. To, while, and then the question is, to where do you move it? Right. Well, you just move it a, a block away, basically. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that if someone... Uh, is in the hospital or, you know, has an appointment or had to go use a bathroom or all these different scenarios you can think of, and they're not there. They come back and there's no tent anymore. Exactly. And all their stuff has been thrown away. And the Department of Justice is actually right currently uh, investigating the Phoenix. U.S. Department of Justice. Correct. um, Investigating the Phoenix police for, for this. We'll be back with Stacey Champion discussing homelessness in Phoenix in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with uh, Stacey Champion talking about homelessness in Phoenix. Uh, she spends a lot of time down in that neighborhood. We were talking about sort of the police slash sanitation uh, Cleanups, and you uh, in the break started to tell me uh, a personal story about the impact on one individual, and I thought that warranted a hearing because we've been sort of talking in theory or at a global level. But uh, I wonder if you'd tell us that story. Sure. So, um, you know, over the years, as this has been happening, uh, I've met so many people who've lost everything. Right. Like what little possessions they have. But, you know, if you think about cramming your most prized possessions into, you know, a backpack and a couple of bags like that's it. You have your, you know, all of your documentation, your ID, if you take any medication, your medication, um, whatever personal belongings you have. And that's all you have. And for a lot of these people, if something happens, 
um, and they're not with their stuff to move it during these sweeps, it oftentimes gets com- just trash thrown away. Example, how could they not be with their stuff? They know when the sweeps are coming, right? Right. So if someone has an appointment they can't miss or has to go to the hospital, and so that's where this story comes into play. So um, last... Uh, just over a week ago, I was down on a Sunday evening to uh, drop off uh, a walker for an older woman who I call Miss V. And there is a, a woman uh, named Missy who is camped near her. And so I know a lot of these people because I'm I'm down on a regular basis. And I found out that Sunday evening that Missy was in the hospital and so I was concerned that because there's kind of so much chaos uh, with people just trying to move their own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I was concerned that her belongings would be thrown away. So I actually went down that following Monday morning to just kind of guard over her things because I didn't know if she would be out of the hospital to make sure they didn't get thrown away. And when I asked the officer... Um, who was, you know, dealing with that kind of block, if if he had been told uh, that she was in the hospital, he said, yeah, somebody let me know. And I said, okay, well, I want to make sure her things don't get thrown away. And his response to me was, we'll, we'll do the best we can. And I said, okay, I don't really know what that means. So I guess I'm going to stand here by her tent and things and make sure it doesn't get thrown away, which I did. Uh, and then, you know, I saw her a couple of evenings later and, and she said, thanks. Um, but that's a perfect example of what can happen, you know, if somebody has something happen and and then they come back and, they, you know, all of their stuff is gone. And when you don't have transportation, you don't have money, just the simple thing of, you know, getting new identification mm-hmm. is a challenge in and of itself. So, you know, replacing all those things and it's like you need all those things, um, you know, to even get on a housing list or to or to get housing. There was a, an older first time homeless woman who I adore. Her name was Judy. And she was this feisty woman in her 70s, one of those really proud people, like we refused to tell. I think she finally did tell her grandson. And she eventually did get into housing, and I check in with her still on occasion. Um, but she had this really challenging situation because she had been adopted and had been born in Texas and so worked with, you know, um, an attorney through Justice Center who who basically had to jump through all of these hoops to get her adoption record unsealed to then go get her birth certificate so she could get identification to get housing. But it was this like, you know, months and months and months long process. She ended up, you know, in the hospital because of heat illness things. And she over didn't the course have her whole life didn't have an ID until then. Well, I think she she did. I think she had like a Colorado ID that she had just been, you know, using as just an ID for many years, but like no, hadn't had a, a her birth certificate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's all these, you know, there's all these stories. 
What do the sweeps actually look like? Are we talking bulldozers coming through there? Are there? I mean, physically, what's the what? What's the picture? So um, it's suited up uh, sanitation kind of workers, you know, kind of Tyvek suits and. Mm-hmm. Um, and they power wash some of the sidewalks. Uh, there are kind of dr- dump trucks and um, oh, the little like kind of forklifty mm-hmm. things to pick things up and throw them in the. What are they like crates or? Um, like uh, you mean? I mean, I mean, what is what's what's going on in the forklift? What? Oh, people's people's stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like they'll just scoop up, you know. So if there's not somebody there with it, it's getting picked up. Yeah, more often than not. Mm. Yeah, um, a lot of people like lose all their clothes, like or if they fall asleep somewhere else and mm. don't get back in time. It's it's. It, I mean, people cry. People, you know, beg to try to go through dumpsters sure, to get if, their if stuff. If you back. don't have much, but it's all you have, right? Your, that backpack or whatever, is, right? Is critical. Yeah, it's all you have. Wow. Well, that's that's our signal for for a break. We'll be back with Stacy Champion uh, talking about homelessness in Phoenix in just a moment. The Think Tank KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Stacey Champion, uh, Champion talking about homelessness in Phoenix. A uh, number of anecdotes we've, we've said. I wonder if you could sort of big picture this for us. Uh, what are the range of services if somebody's homeless in Phoenix? What, what is the range of options that they have? Who provides these? And, and we'll, we'll go from there. Well, I mean, there are a large number of organizations, um, you know, depending on who the people are, right? Like there are specific organizations for seniors, uh, for families, um, like a UMOM, that organization I know does a lot of work with women and families in particular. Um, you have Lodestar Day Resource Center. You have... What do they do? Um, it's a day resource center. So job training, you have all of these different groups who are trying to help people, um, on their path to housing. But part of the issue is, you know, we have a massive affordable housing crisis. And so housing prices in the Phoenix area, I just happened to write a report on this in the last two years have gone up 46%. I don't know that rents have followed that exactly. Rents, but it's probably in the neighborhood. Rents if, have. If the, pri- if the price of housing goes up, that the rents are probably. Yep, go up and that. and rents have. And I mean, I personally last December, uh, after having you know been in my rental house for a number of years, was supposed to stay in that rental house until my daughter graduated. She's a sophomore now. My landlord saw the comps on the house that sold two doors down from me and uh, told me that he needed to raise my rent to market rate, uh, which was a, a five, at least, he said, at least $500 a month increase. On what base? What was it before? Uh, I, it was from, I paid $1,500 a so month. 
33%. Correct. Yeah. And and I said, you know, if I'm going to pay market rate rent, then I should have new appliances and new bathrooms and not have to fix things when they break. And I ultimately ended up moving. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when I went to go look for a new house, uh, I applied for, I think, four houses before I even got into the house we're in currently at 50 to 100 bucks a pop per application. So moving is not cheap. And if you are, you know, an average person making, we have low wages here. We have low salaries here. People don't make a lot of money. And thankfully, I could afford to pay those application fees right now at this current time. Um, but a lot of people can't. I mean, that's if you're talking about, you know, several hundred dollars, that's all of your. And you might not get a place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just that, you know, three, four hundred bucks out. That's your grocery money for the whole entire month in and, many cases. And typically a deposit in a first month's rent. You're mm-hmm. talking about a chunk of change. Yeah, it's not and, cheap. And in days of looser housing, you would see people who own property waiving a lot of that, but probably not in the current market. Not in the current market. I mean, and, you know, we have high energy bill burden. We have, you know, all of these different things so that, you know, I have talked to so many folks who have a housing voucher, but they can't find a house. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, all these things are only as good as and and part of my frustration, too, is that, you know, the this isn't new. Um, This city knew that we had an affordable housing problem before now. I mean, this isn't a today problem. This is a long time problem that didn't get addressed. And, you know, we have all of these luxury air quote um, apartments going up all over, but you know where's the housing for lower income people? And so it's just this kind of domino effect of of everything being synergistic and tied together, and you know not enough resources, not enough shelter beds. Uh, we don't have low barrier shelter beds. So when we talk about low barrier, um, you know places where those who are maybe chronically homeless or do have addiction issues and are not necessarily on the path to uh, recovery yet or who have pets. Um, there are a lot of all, folks. All things which might keep uh, – If my understanding is there, there are places that will take you, but you can't have a pet. Places that will take you, but they'll screen out people with addiction problems. People, And, and, and so you have people who don't – who are getting screened out and all the other by low barrier? You mean the the place will take the folks that are left over after the other criteria are applied? Yeah, that's right. And so you know, and and these are often um, I think the 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 hardest kind of people to get housed. But then when we talk about housing people too, you have people who have been living in this kind of congregate setting and they've developed family. They've developed community. They have developed a little village. They look out for each other. And what I find missing from all these different workshops I attend and 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 things of that nature what is missing from the conversation is just like love and community and compassion. And so, you know, there's this 
there's this um, thought that you can take this person, plunk them out of this setting, stick them into an apartment by themselves in a neighborhood where they probably don't know anyone, uh, where they don't have transportation, where there isn't a sense of community, and think that that person is going to thrive there. And it's just not, you know, I think a lot of people end up back on the street, not necessarily because they fall off the wagon, but because we have, we as human beings, we have a an innate desire uh, and need to feel like we belong somewhere and to feel loved and to feel like we have people looking out for us. And so without that sense of community, so there's a there's a kind of an intentional community in in Texas, in outside of Austin, I believe, uh, this community first village and what they have done with this and it and it's chronically homeless people is that they have created a community and they've given these folks purpose. Um, you know, they have all of these different artistic things on site and, you know, gardens and woodworking shops. And, you know, they they look for what people are passionate about and give them purpose. And then they sell these things and, you know, home them. And, it, and there's a real sense of community. And I think as a society, we have kind of lost our our village mentality. And but that sounds like to do that, you have to build something from scratch. Well, I mean, but you could start. Yes. I want to make you make you housing czar in Phoenix. What do you do here? Oh, my gosh. Like I would build one of those communities in a heartbeat. I mean, I, I think I think it's possible. I think. Does it have to be in a central location like where the where the sort of the service nexus is right now? I mean, I think it could kind of be anywhere if you set it up with the proper resources, mm-hmm. right? Like, but so Because, you know, we have limited infill in this community and most of it's sort of valuable and slated for development. There's some places, maybe, but the cheap land in this in this town's on the outskirts now. Sure. And, and I think it could be done, you know, kind of anywhere. I mean, but I think there are also places that you could do it kind of inner, even even down in that area. There are, you know, a ton of county owned vacant lots where you could set up small, intentional kind of communities with resources and stuff. I think a lot of it has to do with um, like years ago, I had a friend who had a who had a food truck and every Tuesday morning we would pass out breakfast burritos and there was a lot of pushback about that of you know you're you're feeding you're you're aiding and abetting you're keeping people homeless by feeding them a breakfast burrito and you know this was obviously like way pre covid days but we would have music on and we would hug everybody and ask them how they were and, you know, just treat them with like love and dignity and respect. And I would push back and I'd say, if you think this is about a burrito, you're crazy. Like this is about people feeling connection and just like somebody cares about them for that moment in time. And if you really think it's about a burrito, you're spending way too much time in your office because at the end of the day, as humans, 
you know, we're not, we all have the same kind of basic needs and desires and wants. And, you know, my, my biggest things for down there uh, that I think are just immediate needs that just it drives me crazy that there's, you know, millions and millions of dollars that have gotten earmarked for this issue. Yet there are hundreds, hundreds of people on the street down there, hundreds of people who have no access to 24 seven restrooms or water, just water for drinking, for washing their hands, for cleaning their faces, for maybe washing their underwear, right? Like mm-hmm. they have no access to those basic, basic things. Why? If the city of Phoenix can spend over $300,000 on chains and poles to keep people from, you know, putting up tents in certain such places mm-hmm. and they can. Uh, pay people to come and clean, you know, three times a week, quote unquote, clean, you know, people have nowhere to poop after 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, I would think if, if this is really about public health and sanitation, you would give people a place. Everyone poops right? Mm-hmm. Everyone poops. Like you would give people a place where they can poop. And everyone drinks water. And everybody needs water to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those are just basic, basic human rights, in my opinion, human needs. Like, why don't they have them? And it's it's bonkers to me. You know, there's there's, again, millions of dollars getting thrown around. How difficult is it? Like, I've been being told for months that they just haven't been able to hire people to staff 24-7 bathrooms. So if anybody is listening, needs a job immediately, please go apply so that, you know, hundreds of people have somewhere to poop at one in the morning. (laughs) Have you approached people in the city with that specific question? Oh my gosh! Bathrooms. Yeah, like what do, what do you hear? I mean, for years, just ex- mm-hmm. excuses. Mm-hmm. It's and that's what's frustrating to me. Are they saying they have to be staffed? Well, um, I mean, I mean, it wouldn't seem like the end of the world to put up a some porta potties, row, row of porta potties. You know, no, and and when they had um, when they had the county lots kind of open, uh, which they closed again this summer. Uh, where they originally had kind of pushed people, they did have porta potties and they did have some water, um, and they took those things away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't know what the what the fear of that is. I and mean, it's not like they're trying to push the people out of the area, right? I mean, this is this is sort of the designated area where where they want people to go. Well, I don't know if it's that they they want people to go there. I mean, again, I think that part of the reason that they're keeping the pressure on with those three time a week sweeps is to make it as uncomfortable and disruptive mm-hmm. for those folks as possible, probably in hopes that they will go somewhere else, right? But, but nobody wants to say where that is. Right, exactly. <laughs> or give them, you know, the they're just there aren't enough there aren't enough resources. There aren't enough homes, there aren't enough affordable places. There aren't enough resources. Even, you know, I've heard to the, the lists for rehab are incredibly long. So you have, you know, just a kind of a culmination of all these things that I think the COVID pandemic 
just exacerbated all of these problems that were already there and have been there for years. We'll be back with a concluding segment with Stacey Champion on homelessness in Phoenix when we return in the Think Tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're talking to Stacy Champion here about homelessness in uh, Phoenix. Uh, I want to ask you about who's dealing with the program effectively. And I, but I want to, by way of introducing it, I want to relay a conversation I had with somebody who was running a, a food kitchen in the South Bronx. And uh, it, it had to do with kind of the wrong kind of pressures that he was under. He said, you know... My funders, they want to know body count. They want to know how many meals we served. And he said, you know, I have people come in and I, you can spot people who are regulars, which is the vast majority. He said, then you'll see a mom come in with her kids and she just obviously doesn't fit. She's never been to a, in a situation like this before in her whole life. And she said, and he said, you know, somebody like that, I know I can help them, but not at the cost of a quick hamburger, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I can make a difference. I can change their lives, but it doesn't fit my funding model from the funders who want to see that you, you know, you delivered X thousand meals and and so many units of service. Is that a problem with the agencies that that you see and 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 if you would segue into that is who's down there and what are they doing well i mean i get that i see that it's also i think why i like just doing street outreach because um like i i know the people who you get you do get as a freelancer you get to pick and choose yeah i can do whatever i want (laughs) um You know, and and like on Thanksgiving, uh, because they put up barricades uh, so people because that's when a lot of people go out with a lot of things. And so they're trying to, like, minimize trash and things of that nature. But, you know, like on Thanksgiving, I went and and volunteered uh, with Andre House. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us about them. So Andre House is an organization that. Um, they provide um, meals, they provide showers, they provide, um, I think, laundry services and, and other kind of resources kind of to that low, low barrier, right? Like to the, to the everyone. Like they're, the, they're, not ask, they're not doing screening questions. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're the ones who, um, who I, I feel personally that they really serve with love and um even they're i think have a, a religious foundation but as somebody who is personally agnostic i i would like to think that um jesus was probably an activist in doing street outreach he wasn't the ceo sitting behind a desk right so i appreciate that they work in that manner uh and and very much kind of lead with love which i have a lot of respect for uh that also sounds like they're dealing with you know we one of the problems we have with with poverty is that Everybody wants to help those poor who we have somehow defined as the quote-unquote deserving poor. 
Right. Which does not include people who have a substance abuse problem because we tend to want to blame them. Right. You know, or somebody who got pregnant out of wedlock, or the list goes on, if you know, sort of self-induced. Yep. Somebody who whose profile reads like, you know, they did everything right and bad things just to happen. We've decided those are the deserving poor. And it's the easiest group in the world to to conjure up uh, sympathy for helping. Sure. And I mean, when I do what I do, I just, I try to do it without without judgment, right? Like remembering the fact that everybody has a story. Everyone has a story, no matter what. Like, and, and then with regard to, you know, using or substance abuse, you know, I think if, if a lot of us were to get really honest about it, would you want to be in that situation sober? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there are people who probably... Yeah, if you're, you're, you're homeless, freezing on the street... Uh, a drug fix may not seem like the worst option in the world, even though it's certainly not a long, it's a bad, bad, bad long term. Right. But I think that there are plenty of people who probably, you know, for one reason or another, end up in that kind of situation. And then and then the addiction maybe comes and because they're trying to numb out or whatever. And I think the other thing to remember this was an observation somebody made. I was involved in some social service work and we're dealing with it constituency that that sometimes didn't seem to do things that made sense. And it was pointed out to me, you know, they're poor. Sometimes that means they're poor in part because they made bad choices. They yeah. don't, don't always make the most rational, calculating, long-term decision. And Well, and I think also, like, if you grew, like, I grew up with a single mom. Um, I remember us being evicted uh, when I was a kid, I remember our power being turned off. Um, you know, we didn't have a vehicle, so we so, relied on— So when on... you went after APS, that was personal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, you know, like we had to rely on public transport, and I remember, you know, slogging through snow <laughs> with our groceries and standing in the government cheese line. And, and, I, and I can tell you, like, I still do kind of weird— things from that. And I still shop at thrifters. I still have kind of different or I hoard, you know, weird personal care items that that I like. We so. got just a minute. I got to I got to ask you as, as a concluding, if you were to urge people or give people an avenue to help in the way that would have the most impact, what would it be? Go down and help? Would it be donate? What what, what would that be? Well, so I mean, a couple of things. So volunteer, again, like there's organizations like Andre House who can always use people um, to do that. I just made a video that I put on my Twitter, which is Champ, P-R, C-H-A-M-P-P-R, uh, that has, you know, how you can make little kits to keep in your own car to pass out to people. And then I have an Amazon wish list. If anybody wants to, you know, the things get shipped to me and then I go and drop them off. So there's a lot of different ways. Like, How do they reach you? Um, on probably Twitter, uh, Champ, Champ PR. PR, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and, and just be, be kind. Thank you for the insight, Stacy Champion, aptly named. Welcome back to the show. Thank we'll you. We'll have you back, I'm sure. Thanks for having me. We'll see me. you next week in the Think Tank.